the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. How's everybody doing tonight? This is the group that wants above and beyond more than just what they got on Sunday, right? Well, I'm excited tonight for our brother Nick. He's going to come and... Minister Word tonight. Amen. Minister the fire. Everybody, give my hand. Good evening. How's everybody doing? It's good to see you guys. I'm just going to be real with you. A lot of people, I asked a lot of people what they thought about our guest speaker Sunday, Miss Adrian. I thought it was a phenomenal, phenomenal message that she brought forth. A lot of good scripture and good points that we could really relate to our personal lives. But the number one feedback that I heard from people, they're like, man, she was real. Like, she just wasn't afraid to put her business out there and do it. And I got to be honest with y'all, I'm just having a bad day. I just feel bad. It happens. But like Chad and Kaylee were just singing, you're my source of strength. I I told Richard and Bill when I came out, I said, man, I don't even feel good. I'm not even feeling it. They're like, it's a good thing it's not about that feeling, right? Last night, I got the scripture written up on my wall. It says, his strength works best in weakness. And I keep saying, this is the third time I say it now, man, I know God is up there getting swole. Like, he is ripped right now. He's so strong because I'm so weak. And I already know that's true, and nobody can take that away from me. God's going to do big things because I feel like I can't do it on my own. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for letting us be here tonight, Lord. I thank you for loving us and for forgiving us, Lord. I thank you for sticking so close to us, for being that friend that sticks closer to us than a brother, Jesus. I thank you that you strengthen all of our relationships with you, Lord. And through that, you give us the ability to have good, healthy, strong relationships with the other people in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can I give you all a praise report before we start? So today, in eighth grade biology, this boy told me that his hand hurt in front of the whole class. I asked him, I said, can I pray for your hand? And he said, looked kind of shocked, surprised. Said, okay. So I prayed for his hand. I just said, simple prayer. You don't have to be weird. You don't have to be fruity. I said, I pray that your hand is healed in the name of Jesus. And he got a shocked look on his face, picked up his pencil, started writing. I said, so how does it feel? Standing in front of the whole class in public school. He said, it feels good. I said, 100%? He said, about 80%. I said, put your pencil down. I never told a kid to put their pencil down when they're doing their work before. I said, put your pencil down. He put it down. I prayed for him again. I said, I just pray that your hand is completely healed in the name of Jesus. He looked. He says, it's 100%. It's all better. So I told the class. I was already standing up there. So I told the whole class what happened. And he's like, hold on, hold on. I'll tell you guys tomorrow. I'll tell you guys if it feels good tomorrow. So in Jesus' name, his hand's going to feel amazing tomorrow, and he's going to tell everyone in the class. It'll be a great testimony. I don't tell you this because I'm the one that prayed for him. I tell you this because it's in everybody. It's all over. You're saved. You ask Jesus to come in your heart, and I pray that if you're not filled with the Holy Ghost, you pray, Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit, and you got that same power that raised Jesus from the grave living in you. 
Another thing that I thought about last night during our prayer time, y'all, we are a praying church. I love our church so much. We pray all the time. When that dude fell out of the window and died, it was late at night. That's how much these guys love being together and ministering the word. Paul's up there preaching in his house. They're not on the ground floor. They're up there in the upper level. And dude falls off the balcony, off the windowsill. That's how packed out they are. There's not even room. He didn't have a comfortable purple chair to sit on. Dude fell off on the ground and died. Paul wasn't worried. He didn't stop the service. He didn't have to call the ushers of the security team or the ambulance. He just walked down there. And I truly believe that when he walked down there, he wasn't worried. He wasn't stunting it at all. He just walked down there and he knew that the scriptures he read were true. He knew that he had God's power in him and he could speak to him and say, this man is not dead and pick him up and he'd be alive. And he had to worry. It wasn't his performance. It wasn't about him. I knew today that that boy told me his hand hurt and God wanted me to pray for his hand and God healed him because it's not about me. It's about God. So a lot of times we just got to put ourselves back, take ourselves out of the equation and ask God to call the shots. Because, man, when I call the shots, it never works out. Never, ever. I called the shots for a long time. I still try to sometimes. It just doesn't work. So tonight, I want to talk about friendship. We're going to start out in the book of Proverbs, and we're going to move on to the book of Acts. And I asked several people that I look up to, and they attend church all the time. I said, have you ever heard an entire hour-long sermon on friendship. And they all told me no. Well, see, I really haven't either. But Pastor Guy has been getting us to this moment for over a year. He may not have used that word, but he's been preaching about friendship. He's been talking about relationships and discipleships and doing life together over and over and over, every sermon. He's been getting us to this point. He just didn't spell it out an hour long on this is friendship, this is why you need friendship. Well, that's what I hope to do here tonight. And we're going to start out in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. Thank you, Lord. It says, A friend is always loyal, and a brother is born to help in time of need. See, sometimes we throw that word friend around pretty loosely, right? Like, he's my friend, she's my friend, just because you worked with them or you had a class with them or something. But a real friend is always loyal. They're always going to stick by your side. Jesus is always loyal, right? Even if I'm not loyal, God is loyal. Always there to help us. And a brother is born to help in time of need. And it's talking about a literal brother here, right? It's talking about your flesh and blood your brothers and sisters, but we are the body of Christ and we are each other's brothers and each other's sisters. And we are here to help each other in time of need. But you see, there's also a scripture that says, ask your neighbor for help before you ask your brother. Well, hold on. Why does this say a brother is born to help in time of need? If the other scripture says, ask your neighbor before you help your brother. See, our neighbors always living right by us. Even if we don't want to, even if I don't ever even talk to my neighbors, some of them I haven't talked to, right? They're still right by me. They're in that house right next to me. My brother could have moved anywhere. 
Our family moves all around. They're not always immediate family close to us. Even if they are immediate family, they end up moving off at some point in life, right? So I believe that this scripture is saying that the ones that are close to you are the ones that are going to be able to help you and the ones that you are going to be able to help. And we already know that our neighbor in scriptures, the scripture I just quoted, is talking about a literal neighbor. But we know that neighbor means everybody, right? When a man asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus said, everybody. So God intends for us to form relationships with one another. A relationship doesn't work out too hot long distance. It's hard long distance, isn't it? A long distance relationship is hard. It's not as easy as being right in somebody's face. I'm the first to tell you, it's hard for me to keep up with somebody that I don't get to see on a weekly basis or a monthly basis. It's hard to keep track with them and see how they're doing in their lives. So I believe that Jesus intends, in fact, I know that Jesus intends for us to form meaningful, deep relationships, not only with our brothers, not only with our friends, but with our neighbors. And our neighbors are everybody. Our neighbors are with everybody. So the reason Jesus said, ask your neighbor before you ask your brother, because he knew that's who you were going to be closest to. See, who are you going to be able to call on in a time of need? If you isolate and you shut yourself away from everybody in the world, they're not going to be able to help you. I was talking to somebody that I look up to, and just like me, they're not perfect. They're on fire for Jesus, but there was a point in their life they went through a divorce. And they told me that when they were going through this divorce, they ran out of gas on the side of the, hall, on the, side of the highway. They called their ex that they were going through this divorce with and said, I ran out of gas. Can you bring me some gas? And their ex is a Christian too. But the ex said no. My ex-wife ran out of gas. I'm not going to bring you some gas. So see, just because you know somebody, you spent time with them, you've been around them, doesn't mean they're going to be there to help you. You need to form relationships to know that people are truly going to be there to help you and that you are going to be there to help them. You can't just go through this life nonchalantly and say, oh, that's Jimmy. I see Jimmy at work every day. And if anything ever came up at work, you know, he'd have my back. You don't know that. Jimmy's just there getting a paycheck like you. Why should he stick your neck out for you if you never stuck your neck out for him? You never grabbed him a cup of coffee or took him on his lunch break. Why should Jimmy do anything for you if you never put yourself out there? See, it's a two-way relationship. You're only going to get out what you put in. I love my job, guys. I just gave you a praise report about a boy's hand being healed in the middle of class, right? We were talking about plant um, reproduction. We're talking about plant reproduction today. And it's asked what parts of the plants help it to reproduce, like the, the stems and the roots and the leaves and stuff, right? And y'all going to, I guess, in, in the coming future, you're going to get a lot of biology metaphors from me. I apologize. But it's life. We should all be able to relate to a plant. Jesus talked about farming and, and the crops and the fields, so we should be able to talk about plants, right? So I asked him, I said, what do these three different parts of the plant 
have in common. One kid said, they all perform photosynthesis, right? They all absorb nutrients. So I asked him, I said, if I just throw a plant under this desk right here in the front of the room, and you know, it's dark, it's not out in the sunlight, and I maybe just pour some Dr. Pepper on it, or some Hennessy, or some Jameson, you know, all the eighth graders laughed at that, so y'all don't pretend like you don't know what that is, okay? I said, is it gonna, what's going to happen to it? And they all said, it's going to die. I said, that's right, because you produce whatever's given into you. Those things aren't the water and the sunlight that it needs. I said, what happens if we plant it outside and we give that water and that sunlight? They said, it's going to live, right? So if you're putting those bad things in, you're going to get the bad things out. If you're putting the good things in, you're going to get the good things out. So if I go around all day, every day, and I say, man, I don't want to talk to him. I'm busy. I got my job to do. I don't want to talk to this guy at work that's trying to talk to me and trying to be friendly to me. I got to get home and take care of my family. Church is starting at 7. I got dinner. I got kids. I got stuff to do. Well, guess what? Why should he reach out to you? You're giving them the cold shoulder, right? But God intended us to be relational beings. Everybody needs friends, and everybody needs to spend time with their friends. But it's that two-way street. You might think, oh, man. They don't want me to talk to them. Well, that's because you've been putting these walls up and you've been not wanting to talk to them. You've been not wanting to extend yourself. Let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42. I'm going to read the next five or six verses in this. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in, mil- in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Man, we got most of this down pat. The apostles, the one that seen Jesus, right? They saw Jesus in person. So all the believers, the Christians, the believers in the community, they devoted themselves, devoted They didn't just do it. They didn't just show up on... They devoted themselves. Actually, in another part in Acts, it talks about they gathered every day for this teaching in the temple. Every day they gathered, right? So they devoted themselves to the teaching and to fellowship. If they were devoted to fellowship the same way they were devoted to the teaching and they were going to the teaching every day, how often were they fellowshipping? How often were they hanging out together, kicking it, chilling, talking, eating some food, right? All the time. And to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. It doesn't say just the Lord's Supper. It doesn't say just the the dinner on the grounds or the potluck or the fall festival. It says sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. They was eating together all the time, just like we do. We go out after church and eat together, right? And to prayer. And I know we're praying church. So we're nailing this so far. Verse 43. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They shared everything they had. They all met together in one place. They didn't say, oh no, I can't share this portion of my time because I got this work I need to get done. They didn't say, oh, this section of my life can't be affected. 
Y'all got to get inventive with your time management. For real. Bill and Chad, how long you been knowing each other? Maybe 20 years or something? Long time, right? Chad works at the... <laughs> he said they've known each other a long time. Chad works at the Warrior Center. And he's up there ministering to men all day, every day, and discipling them, right? And I'm sure Chad and Bill would love nothing more than get to hang out and eat a burger or something. But where is the time in their schedules? What does Bill start doing? He starts driving up to the Warrior Center when Chad's at work. Chad is at work on the clock, and Bill just starts driving up there to see him. And not only does he get to spend time with his longtime friend, he gets to minister to people and mentor them and form more relationships. So he's not just going. My mom had this song when I was a kid. Make new friends, but keep the old. One is silver, but the other gold. Silver hair. Okay. We can go with that. So not only was Bill able to cultivate a healthy existing relationship, he was able to form new relationships and mentor people and take them under his wing, which leads me to the next step of friendship. We need different kinds of friends. The majority of our friends need to be Christians. And if possible, which it, for the most part is always possible, Christians that are more mature than us. And some of our friends need not even be saved, maybe never even gone to church. Maybe they gone to church and they got hurt, and they're just not following God right now. Because it's so important that the majority of our fellowship is coming from Christians and believers. Because whatever you surround yourself with, just like that plant, whatever nutrients you're absorbing, that's what's going to come out of you. You put the good in, you get the good out. And it's important that you also have sinner friends. Number one, it just keeps you realistic. It keeps you grounded. It keeps you knowing what's going on. But also, that time is you giving out to them. So most of your friends need to be mature Christians that have been doing this longer than you, maybe, or have just a deeper relationship with God than you, or on the same level as you. And that's the time that you get strengthened, and you're always around them. You know you can call them all day, every day, because they love the Lord and they want to help you, and they know that you do the same for them. But you also need friends that aren't even following Christ. So you need to have both levels of that. Let's look at verse 46. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. They loved getting together and spending time. It was a joyful occasion. Verse 47, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. See, you're really going to enjoy it. You, might, you can't think of it as, man, this is another thing added on to my agenda. I, I already, you know, I love Jesus. I love people. I go to work. I help my family. I clean. I cook. I do the yard maintenance. I take care of the cars. I do all these things. I read my Bible. I pray. I go to church. And now Nick's saying, I got to have time for other people too. I got to have friends, right? But you can't think of it like that. You got to be like Chad and Bill and incorporate it into what you're already doing. Bill went to the man's work. Chad was already going to be at work. 
He just happened to have a job that allows people to be there. I love when I know somebody that's a waitress somewhere and I can just go eat lunch at their restaurant. I'm getting to spend time with who I'm there eating with and we get to talk to that waiter or waitress for a few minutes too. They were going to be there anyways. It's just wonderful. You have to incorporate people into what you're already doing. I said this before. If you're taking your kid to a Little League game, call somebody and ask them to go with you. You're going to be there for the family time anyways. You might as well have some friend time. You got to be able to multitask. You got to be able to do more than one thing at a time. And the second part of that verse. Well, also it says, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. If you aren't around the people, you don't get to enjoy the good things that they do and the fun that you get to have with them. So it's a fun thing. It's not like I'm giving you more work to do or another thing on your agenda. It's fun. It's healthy. It helps us. We really, really need it. But the second sentence in that verse 47 says, And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Wow. That's awesome. So for those of you listening on the podcast, one of our church members just shared that the word fellowship means unity. And it's a unity that not only cements your relationship with Jesus, but it also cements your relationship with each other. That's amazing. So the fellowship, and what I wanted to point out there was the people being saved, the people being added to the, added to the church are in the fellowship. They didn't just get saved. and It doesn't say they got saved and they went to the temple and they went to prayer and they went to the Lord's Supper. It says the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So when they became believers, they became their friends. They spent time together. Their relationship with Jesus was cemented through this unity of fellowship, and their relationship with each other was also cemented. There was nobody falling through the cracks. When they got saved, they were in it. They were going whole hog, like Pastor would say. They were all in. This next verse we're going to look at in the NIV translation It's Proverbs 12, verse 26. The reason we're going to look at it in the NIV, when I read this, it might sound weird to you. It might not look like what you're looking at in your Bible. And that's because the meaning of these words in the original language and context are uncertain. But many reliable translations translate it this way. Even in the Bible I normally use, it has this as a footnote. So I wanted to read it to you guys this way. It says, 
The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. So those that live the right way, the correct way, are very careful about who they hang out with. But the things that non-believers are doing, that bad people are doing, leads you down the wrong path, leads Christians away from God. Okay? So, yes, you have to be careful about who you hang out with. Absolutely. That goes without saying. You can't just invite anybody into your home, anybody into your heart, and you can't just share intimate details with anybody. But you do need to spend time with non-believers because if you don't, how is anybody else going to be saved and added to the fellowship? But notice, it didn't say that you're righteous and you're living right for God and you're doing what you're supposed to and you don't have time for the other people or you don't have time to spend. It says they choose carefully, but they still chose. They still chose a friend. So, and we're talking about righteous people, right? We, I know we got righteous people in here tonight. Because you're living right because you love Jesus and you're living for God. So everyone that hears my voice, you are righteous. I'm talking about you. So the people in Passion Church choose their friends carefully. But the way of the evil sinners takes us somewhere further from God. So the righteous choose their friends carefully. I don't see any stipulations to that proverb. I love Proverbs because it's straight, it's simple, it's to the point. Two lines. One thing, the good side of it, and one thing is the antithesis of it. I love that. You can't misinterpret it. It doesn't say that some of the righteous people need to choose friends. It says the people that love Jesus choose their friends carefully. That means you have to choose. You're not allowed to say, I'm a loner. You're not allowed to say, I don't need a friend. Because that's a lie. You might th- and, and there's some people that are just little social butterflies. And they get to talk to people all day, every day. And that's amazing. That's great if that's you. That's half of you, actually. The other half of you are what we call introverts. But even introverts need friends. Your friends might not be as loud as Big Joe. But you're still going to have friends. Everybody needs friends. It says the righteous choose their friends carefully. They choose their friends carefully. If, if you can't take, if this, if I can't take this as a direct command from God, that God is telling me to have friends and to choose friends, I don't know how to read the Bible. But I'm confident that Holy Spirit gives me the ability to read the Scripture and to interpret the Scripture. And He is telling me right there that if you love Jesus, you need friends. And we're not talking about wives or husbands or parents or children or brothers or sisters. We're talking about friends. We're talking about people that aren't related to you. We're not talking about a work friend that you just talk to them at work. We're talking about friends that you can talk to anytime, that you can strengthen and that can strengthen you. 
Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 7. And we're going to go down through that whole portion of Scripture all the way up to, we're going to finish with 12. It says, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. Everyone knows Ecclesiastes. He's saying everything's vanity. It's all just a vapor that just blows away with the wind. Life doesn't matter. That's what the author's writing here. He's like, nothing matters. It doesn't matter. And now he's saying, let me tell you about something else that doesn't matter. Verse 8. This is the case. This is something that doesn't matter. This is the case of a man who's all alone without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. So this man is all alone without a child or a brother. If he doesn't have children, it's insinuating he's not married. He doesn't have a family at all. No brother, no close relatives. He's all alone. But he's working hard. He's doing what he's supposed to. He loves Jesus. He's grinding it out. He's doing what he's supposed to do. He's going to church. He's working hard. He's reading his word. But it's pointless if he doesn't have somebody to share it with. See, you're never alone. Don't misunderstand me. We all have, of course, the number one relationship in our life with Jesus. He's always with you. And even like it says in here, it's meaningless and depressing. Even if you feel depressed because you've isolated yourself from the world, you're really not alone. Jesus is with you and he loves you all the time. But that may be a reason why depression is so widespread in our young people today because They've isolated themselves. They're staring at a screen instead of staring at a flesh and blood human being. We need to have friends. Having friends gives us joy and happiness. But not having friends is depressing. Verse 9. Now, I I want you to understand that this scripture written in that time in the context by the author is very clearly talking about friendship. A lot of time we'll hear this and we'll use this on marriage and stuff. And that's good and that's great. And there's nothing wrong with that. We need to be able to interpret the Bible and apply it to our lives where it belongs. And that's great and that's amazing. But And it's a very good thing to do because otherwise you're going to be like, what do all these sheep and oxen got to do with me, right? So you have to be able to apply it to your life. But it's also good to know the original intention of what that author was thinking about specifically beyond what the Holy Spirit was using it for all the generations to come to help us. So remember that the original intent of this author was talking about friendship and companionship. Verse 9, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. So there's a lot of walking going on, right? They didn't have cars when the scripture was written. And apparently, in the path, there was pits. There was holes all over. Why did they have all these laws about pulling your ox up out of the ditch on the Sabbath? And why was 
Why was the good Samaritan who saw the dude laying in the ditch, you know, when he's walking along on the roadside? These roads, apparently there was holes around and it was dangerous. And if you're by yourself and you fell, then you're like that dude laying there for a long time waiting for just that nice good Samaritan to come and pick you up. How many knows that sometimes it takes a while for a nice person to just wander by? I would much rather have a friend with me to be able to pull me up out of a hole than be laying there waiting for somebody. Let's think of it this way. That person I told you about, if they didn't get divorced, and remember this this verse isn't about marriage, but let's just go there for a second. If they didn't get divorced, their husband would have came and got the gas for them when they ran out of gas on the side of the road. But because they got divorced, the husband said, I'm not bringing you gas. I'm not going to help you get to where you're going. I'm not going to help you. We need people that we love and that loves us and that we can help. We can help each other and we need to be close to them. I don't want anybody in here to just be laying on the side of the road waiting for somebody to come help them. You should already know where to find that help. Number one, of course, through Jesus, but Jesus administers and issues and uses and acts out that love and that help through human beings. Verse 11. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? Now, this is talking about the same exact thing we were just talking about. It's nothing weird. It's not talking about marriage. They're walking out on these roads from town to town. And it was more than a day's journey for them to get to some of these towns. And if you're just walking, all you got is your coat and maybe a bag of money or whatever you're going to sell or whatever you're going to buy, how are you going to stay warm laying on that road by yourself? You're just going to pull over whatever coat you have, maybe a a blanket off of, if you're fortunate enough to have a donkey or something, maybe pull that, their covering off and keep yourself warm. But if you have a friend there with you, not only are they able to help you in the times of need when you really need them and you're really down, but they're just able to comfort you and make life more enjoyable overall. There's no reason to be freezing in the middle of the night when two warm bodies can just snuggle up together and stay warm. They're outside under the stars. There's no heater. All right, verse 12. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. If I'm walking by myself and I get attacked, no one's watching my back. It's nice to know that when you have friends, they're always watching your back. But yeah, our schedules are busy. We go to work and we go to church and we do all these other activities. So you can't always be with that friend, right? So guess what? You got to have more than one. You got to have more than one friend. You got, oh man, I just doubled your workload. You got to spend time with more than one friend. So one of them's working might be when you're getting attacked and you need your other friend to be able to watch your back. Well, you got to have more than one. Oh, that's where we're going right now. What's better than two? Three. Three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. I'm going to tell you a story. Several years ago, when I got baptized in the Holy Ghost as an adult, that first Sunday, I went to church as an adult. There was two men there. Many of you have met them now. One was named Samuel and one was named Josiah. They started going to that church just several months before me. 
We all started at the same time, all became friends. They were there that day I got filled with the Holy Ghost. Every Sunday, we just started hanging out after church. These were like my first Christian friends. All my friends were getting high. I didn't have any friends for the year before this. I was trying to get sober and do the right thing. I didn't have good influences in my life. I didn't have good friends. So these men became my brothers. Now they come to our church as well. You've seen them, Josiah and Samuel. They come to church here. And we help each other. And we know each other. We know a lot. But I'll tell you what. If I just go see Samuel, or if I call him on the phone, guess what? always ends up coming up. One of us is going to say, hey, what's up with Josiah? And when I go hang out with Josiah, one of us is going to say, how's Samuel doing? It happened this Sunday. Me and Samuel went out to lunch after church with a bunch of people. I said, Samuel, where's Josiah? He said, oh, he's in Georgia. He's in Georgia working. It always comes up. That triple braided cord is so important. And yes, I know this has been, and we've talked about you and your spouse and the Holy Spirit. And that's good, right? That's amazing. That's, that's an excellent marriage. I want me and a spouse and the Holy Spirit. Like, you can't beat that, right? But we're talking about friendship here. The originality of this passage, we're talking about friendship. And you've got to have more than one friend. And you've got to spend time with more than one friend. Let's bounce back over to Acts. Chapter 14. Verse 19. Acts 14, 19. It reads, Then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town, thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him, Paul got up and went back into the town. The next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. After preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch of Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers... They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Just imagine that for a second. The man got stoned, beat up so bad that they thought he was dead. He got attacked to the level where they were able to drag his body out the town and the whole time they thought he was dead. How tore up do you think he was? But when the other believers, when the fellowship, when the people in that cemented unity that loved each other and spent time with each other and cared for each other came around him, he had the strength to get up. What did he do? Did he get up? Did he go to the hospital? I'm I'm sure somebody looked at him. Somebody checked him out, right? Let's be realistic. But the very next day, he's off to go preach in another town. He's still doing the ministry. And guess what? He didn't get scared that they beat him up there. He went back to that very same place shortly thereafter and ministered there again where the people beat him up so bad they thought they had killed him. And I love that for the same reason I talked about Paul walking down and raising that kid from the dead who fell out the window or me praying for the the kid's hand and healing his hand today. 
And Paul getting beat up to the point of death. And when his friends gather around him, he's able to stand up and continue to do what God wants him to do. Continue to do his job. I'm not just talking about ministry. I'm talking about you feel like you're down on your luck and everything's attacking you and everything's coming after you. And your friends get around you and you are able to do that thing that you need to do. You are able to help your family and take care of them because your friends are strengthening you. You are able to deal with your boss and your job because you know your friends are there strengthening you. You are able to take care of the health the health issues and know that there's someone that's going to be there to help you out because your friends are around you because you spent time. <coughs> excuse me. You spent time pouring into these relationships and you know they're going to be there for you. That's why I love reading all these historical facts in the Bible, because it applies to us. God doesn't play favorites. He doesn't have any favorites. If he can do that through Paul, the man get beat to death and his friends gather around him and he's able to get up and still carry on that day and carry on the next day. And do what he's supposed to do, then I know we can. You feel like you're down and everything's coming against you and you're just having a bad day. Or maybe it's just a normal day and you're just like, eh, just whatever. Your friends get around you. They're able to strengthen you and encourage you. And you're able to be the best that God intended you to be. We're almost there. Proverbs 18, verse 24. There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. Not everybody wants to sign up for what I'm talking about. See, we've been hurt. It says there's friends who destroy each other. I've been hurt. There's people in my life that have betrayed my trust. That I treated, I've done nothing but help them be nice to them, open my, my time and my heart and my home to them. And they just stab me in the back. They just do crazy things like, I can't believe he did that. I can't believe she did that after all I've done for them. People are just people. We get hurt. You can't allow your past scars and bruises to stop God's intentions for your life. Because we read that God commands us to have friends, commands us to spend time with our friends. And you can't allow those old hurts to bring you down. You can't hold on to those grudges and put up your walls and say, I'm not going to let it happen again. You have to be open to God's love. Those people hurt you and they said they were a Christian. I'm sorry. They weren't representing Christ. They were representing themselves. They just used his name. I'm sorry they used his name like that. I'm really sorry. But God loves you and God's people love you. And just because people who said they were God's people, you got close to them before. And now you're like, oh, I can go to church, but I don't want to actually get involved with them in life because they're going to act different outside of church. Man, Joe and Megan are the same happy, bubbly people outside of church. I had the privilege one time of sitting on their couch in their living room. They are just as happy and several, several other times out in the world in the restaurants and stuff and hanging out. 
They are the same happy, joyful couple, loving people, loving Jesus. Outside of these buildings, as they are in this building, not one part of them changes. They still greet you with a warm hug or handshake and a friendly smile. And just because people that call themselves Christians have hurt us in the past, we can't allow that to prevent God's will for our lives. Now the last scripture in closing is Acts 20.20. This is just to drive the nail in the coffin in case... In case we haven't agreed so far what God is telling us tonight. I never shrank back. This is Paul again. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. So if you think, man, all, like all this stuff Nick is saying, like it's good, but it ain't me. Like I'm living for Jesus. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. I got the foundation. I'm reading my Bible, going to church, praying. Yeah, but what about Paul said? He said he didn't hold back publicly in the church where we are right now or in the homes. So don't think of yourself as so superior that you don't need friends or that this doesn't apply to you. Because Paul said he was willing to become all things to all men. He was willing to go in their homes and minister to them. So I can't stress this enough. Jesus loves us. Jesus is our friend. But if Jesus lives in me, that means he lives in you too. So he wants us to spend time together because we have the same spirit in us. He wants us to have that fellowship and come together and love on each other. I see every single person here is here all the time, but I'm not going to take anything for granted. Everyone, if anybody in here, you say, this relationship stuff you're talking about, this friendship stuff, well, I don't even feel like I'm a friend of Jesus. If that's you, if you'd come forward, I'll pray for you right now. I didn't ask anybody to close their eyes because it says that if you deny God, he's going to deny you. And part of being saved is not only believing in your heart that Jesus died on that cross and rose again to everlasting life, but saying it out loud in front of people is what saves you and what makes you a child of God, living for God. Living for Jesus, allowing Jesus to call the shots in your life and take control in your life. So if anybody in here, if you say, I don't think I am a friend of Jesus, please come talk to me or talk to Brother Tom back there in the back of the room at the end of service. and We'd be happy to pray with you. But for everybody else, I don't have an altar call tonight. Instead, I have a command. I have a commission. I have a, a challenge. My pastor does those pastor's challenge on those bulletins on Sunday. My challenge to you is to have at least five Christian friends and one non-Christian friend that you're not related to. You don't have to do this all at once. You're, like, you're sitting there you're like, Nick, I don't have any friends. You're crazy. You're like, all right, get one. Get one Christian friend, right? Get one Christian friend and start spending time with them. What you're going to realize is the schedules are so crazy and you need more than one friend. And you're going to realize that three really strengthen each other more than just two. So really, really, really seriously, just as important as praying, just as important as coming to church, as worshiping, as reading your Bible. Every book of the Bible has friendship. Jesus had friends. Friendship is pointed to all throughout the scriptures. And it is so important. So if you don't have friends, remember that it's, 
it, yeah, it may be awkward to you, but if it's awkward to you, it's probably awkward to them too because they're not doing it either. So if you reach out, it's not being selfish. You're healing them when you reach out. You're able to heal yourself because you needed a friend and you're able to heal them because they also needed a friend. Every time you minister and help someone and tell someone about Jesus, you're helping yourself too. Paul got up and he was strengthened. They had beat him to death almost. And he went out and he ministered. God gave him the strength and healed him to keep doing what he was supposed to be doing. So God wants to give you the strength to keep doing and to begin doing even better what you're supposed to be doing and go out and have good godly friends and spend time with them and form relationships. for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.